14. Welcome to 40 Going On 14. I am Mike. I am Patrick. I'm Joel. And I'm Josh. And a long time ago, we used to be friends. I mean, we still are, but we used to too. Yeah, I'm going to go on record as not caring for the theme song. Uh, Dandy Warhols are awesome. You're not awesome. I don't know. It grew on me. The first time I heard it, I thought it was weird. For people who don't know what we're talking about, we're doing the Veronica Mars show. Yes. And that's the theme song. Yeah. Yeah, the old Veronica Hedberg bit. (laughs) (laughs) Mitch Mars. I think I'd go with Mitch Mars better. Mitch Mars sounds like somebody I would listen to. Veronica Hedberg sounds like... (laughs) Mitch Mars sounds like a guy I bought weed from. If you like buying weed, you might like the shows on the Podcast Collective, such as I Am Salt Lake, The Dog Induced Show, The Portland Beer Club Podcast, Talk Music to Me, and of course, The Rad Dad Radio Hour. It sound, almost sounded like you, you were trying to do the, uh, the theme song. <laughs> I wasn't quite sure where to go, and so I just ran with whatever direction. Switch to a bass halfway through that solo. It's worked for you this far in life. Why should it stop now? Exactly. So if you're looking for more of this, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Blueberry, Stitcher, TalkShoe, Podverse FM, Noon FM, Podchaser, and uh, Spotify and iHeartRadio. We are literally all over the place watching you coming up with new ideas. We're in your living. I'm not watching you. Josh is watching. No, I'm, I'm not. He's like Mr. Universe from... Uh, Firefly. It's got all the monitors. Except they all have video games on them. Yeah, and a sex bot wife. I'm watching. I'm watching too. If you'd like to call, and please do. <laughs> 708 now wrap. That's 708-669-9727. And if you go on our Facebook page and click the contact us, you can join us on our Discord chat, which is always actually hopping pretty good. I'd chat with me. I'd chat with me so hard. You do. Oh, yeah. I chat with you. Yes, Rina. We were talking a little bit about the potential Borderlands movie today. He says, trying to get Pat to stop talking like that. Just get in the well. Really, Brain? (laughs) (laughs) All I got about that time. Ka-chow. I'm going to be the one to say, yeah, I think it's about that time before I, I'm, going to, I'm going to censor myself. Well, I think it's about that time. Did you just get chow? He did just say good chow. Fine. It's about that time. This week in music, movies, and TV. And Weevil. So the date for this one is the first then that crosses over to uh, 2004. We have stepped over the 2000 line. Is our first toe in the proverbial water? Yes. Gratefully. Our first toe in the ought. You ought not say that. sounds really dirty now that I say that out loud. (laughs) Really, (laughs) Brian? I forget. Did we extend it to 2005 or go to 2010? I think 2005 is probably a pretty good Gives us yeah. 15 years to work for, within the now. Yeah. 15 more years for the now, and that's, you know... it's fair. Kind of keep it scooching along. September 22nd, 2004, the premiere 
of season one of Veronica Mars. So, music. The number one song in the land was Goodies by Ciara, featuring PDP Pablo. Damn it, I almost messed it up. In the middle of its almost. seven week run. <laughs> but yeah, but you saved it perfectly. <laughs> I know, right? Oh, yeah. The best thing to do is make sure you draw attention to it. Pablo. <laughs> I've made it musical. Or, wow. First bullet point right out the gate. Just... Oh. <laughs> Come back. All right. So <laughs> the Weather Girls, an American female duo of Martha Wash and Isor Armistead, formed in 1976 in San Francisco, California, as Two Tons of Fun, the female backup duo for disco singer Sylvester. The Weather Girls were launched into mainstream recognition following their best-selling single, It's Raining Men, on September 16th, 2004. Is that late? No, finish the sentence. Oh. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Ar- Ar- Armistead died. <laughs> you graduated high school, right? <laughs> from heart failure at the age of 62. On September 16th, 2004, she died from heart failure at the age of 62. <laughs> I graduated <laughs> high school. I went to four years of college and I graduated uh, MA school. So I've had schooling. We'll prove it. Thank Joel for setting the bar so low. All those years and not a reading class. I know. I don't know how I escaped that. Whew. I, the worst part is I never learned to read. Geter Davis, born Mary Frances Pennock on December 30th, 1931, was an American country music singer who sang crossover pop music songs, including 1962's acronym of the week, T-E-O-T-W. Pretty sure that just stands for the ejaculation of the week. That's what this is right now. Spelled his name. <laughs> oh, that's one of my favorite songs from the sixties. No, that was uh that was the end of the world. Which is a great song, by the way. I don't think that one got a lot of airplay. <laughs> <laughs> the ejaculation of the week? No, that one didn't do well. I just in my head I can hear Dick Biondi announcing it. <laughs> Sounds like a prince song. It actually does. Yeah. Or a two life crew. But no, that is that is the end of the world by Skeeter Davis. Skeeter Davis started out as part of the Davis sisters. And in the late 1950s, she became a solo star. In 2001, she made her final performance at the Grand Ole Opry. She died of breast cancer on September 19th. Yeah. As soon as we got to like 1962 or whatever, I, I figured this wasn't going to end well for her. Yeah. <laughs> American Idiot is a seven studio album by American rock band Green Day released on September 20th. A concept album dubbed a punk rock opera, American Idiot follows the story of Jesus of Suburbia, a lower middle class American adolescent and anti-hero. The album marked a career comeback for Green Day. It charted in 27 countries, peaking at number one in 19 and sold 16 million copies worldwide. The album spawned five successful singles, American Idiot, Boulevard of Broken Dreams, Holiday, Wake Me Up When September Ends, and Jesus of Suburbia. American Idiot was well-received critically and won the Grammy Award for Best Rock Album in 2005. Its success inspired a Broadway musical and planned future film adaptation, which has yet to come to fruition. It's weird. Like, I like Dookie better as an album, but I like American Idiot better as an album title. 
Yeah, I could never get behind American Idiot. I don't know. I like all their stuff prior to it, but that album, I just, I don't know. Didn't do it. A lot of really good songs on it, though. Ah, that's good stuff. Billy Joe is a good songwriter. I really, I, I don't think I really have a real opinion on American Idiot. I don't love it or hate it. I have ever listened to it beginning to end. I know that, like, the common argument against it is, like, Metallica's Black Album. There's a lot of people like, oh, it's where they sold out. It's like, okay, dude. Whatever. (laughs) Musicians are allowed to grow as people, as musicians, as, you know, artists. And and the people that want to make that argument could really just have said that about Dookie, because... As an artist, if you're still putting out the same stuff at 45 years old that you were putting out when you were 20, then there's there's a problem with you as a person. Yeah, and I get that, like, Boulevard of Broken Dreams and Wake Me Up When September Ends are a different sound from what maybe people expected from them, but I think that's a good thing. I'm all for growth as an artist. Sometimes I won't continue on with a band if they grow in a direction that I don't care for, but I don't take anything away from them for doing it. They're doing what what they want to do. All right. And finally, oh, sorry, what was that, Mike? I was agreeing with you. Oh. Not used to that. That's why he didn't recognize it. <laughs> I thought Mike just belched. <laughs> well, well he, it's a combination of belching and agreeing with Joel. Same thing. <laughs> That's how he agrees with Joel. <laughs> and finally, Lewis Edward Satterfield was an American bass and trombone player, primarily noted as a session musician and for his four tours as a sideman with performers including B.B. King, Muddy Waters, Howlin' Wolf, Earth, Wind & Fire, and Phil Collins. He died September 27th. Absorbed. Sometimes we get into these people that I feel like I should have been aware of before, but I become aware of their life the same time I become aware of their death, and only in the twee. Yep. That happens a lot, actually. Well, I mean, the music industry is famous for just chewing up talent. There are these guys that have more talent than some of the most famous musicians out there that just stay session musicians, uh, studio musicians their whole life. Like the Wrecking Crew. Yep. Fucking amazing people that are just phenomenal musicians, but nobody really knows who they are unless they've seen the documentary. I put Lewis Edward Satterfield into search engine for videos and it spit back a couple three videos from the whispers and megan kelly farts on live tv (laughs) (laughs) and i'm I'm just like all right that's kind of weird sorry lewis that's your legacy so moving on to movies the number one movie in the land was sky captain and the world of tomorrow what yeah ironic Hmm, it's a very 2004 sort of thing that may become relevant soon indeed at the 29th toronto international film festival held on september 18th hotel rwanda won the people's choice award i saw that movie i still haven't seen it i still haven't either don Cheadle's the man he is you guys ever see house of lies no it's sort of relevant. The only reason I bring it up is because it's a vehicle for Don Cheadle and Kristen Bell. Yeah, I watched, I think, like the first like five or six episodes and then kind of 
lost interest in it. Yeah, I watched the first season. Liked it a lot. I think we lost access to whatever cable channel it was on after the first season. All right, uh, Russell Albion Meyer was an American film director, producer, screenwriter, cinema photog- cinematographer. I always do that. <laughs> film editor, actor, and photographer. But he is known primarily for writing and directing a series of successful sexploitation films that featured campy humor, sly satire, and large-breasted women, such as Faster Pussycat, Kill, Kill. His first feature, the naughty comedy The Immortal Mr. Tease, cost $24,000 to produce and was the first softcore nudie film to gross more than a million dollars on the independent-slash-exploitation circuit, ensconcing Russ Meyer as King of the Nudies. Meyer died from complications from pneumonia on September 18th. Legend. 59, the immortal Mr. T is a door-to-door salesman of dentist appliances encounters beautiful, well-endowed nude women everywhere he goes. Oh, good for Mr. T's. Starring Bill T's as Mr. T's. This was a documentary. It wasn't a movie. <laughs> this poor man is tortured. You know it's going to be a good movie when, like, when you scroll through the cast and only, like, three people actually have pictures. Every... <laughs> Academy Award-winning actor Kevin Costner wed model and handbag designer Christine Baumgartner at his 165-acre ranch in Aspen, Colorado, on September 25th. TV. Top shows in the land or CSI, Crime Scene Investigation. Just that. Nothing past that. CSI? CSI Vanilla, I guess, would be the way. (laughs) Well, that's all, you know, there's just so damn many of them. I know, at this point. So, CSI, American Idol, and Desperate Housewives. Again? American Idol was like three out of the top five spots. Oh, all the different American Idol versions? No, this was just at the height of when they were playing American Idol, like, every night. Uh, Okay. Uh, at the 56th Emmy Awards held on September 19th, The Sopranos, Arrested Development, James Spader, and Allison Jenny are among the winners. Very early 2000. I almost want him to redo Arrested Development just so he can do it for the show. <laughs> but I don't know. I still think it's too soon. I don't want them to remake it. It was perfect. Go find yourself a Star Wars, sir. Robert William Mason was a British actor and writer known for Coronation Street, The Lakes, and Casualty. During the 1980s, he concentrated on writing and he penned scripts for Coronation Street, making him the only member of the cast to write for the program. He died on September 21st of cancer. Absorbed. British Coronation Street. Hmm. That's the one that has like... 22,000 episodes or something like that. Yeah, some crazy number of... of... Yeah, because I can notice you're in there editing the word program from the two M's and an E at the end. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Uh, Lost, created by J.J. Abrams and starring Matthew Fox and Evangeline Lilly, also debuted on September 22nd. Other shows that debuted this week were CSI, New York, Dr. Vegas, The Mountain, and... Super Robot Monkey Team Hyperforce Go. All of them were dramas, strangely enough. <laughs> it's weird, right? I know. Super Robot Monkey Hyperforce. He was actually a doctor thing. It was like, I don't even know where I'm going with this. Just go. <laughs> it was a medical drama. <laughs> it's a medical drama. 
tonight after CSI New York. Super <laughs> Robot Monkey Team Hyperforce Go. You could never tell it because like the opening credits were all sung by like Japanese schoolgirls. It was really strange. Strangely enough, it was the sequel to House. <laughs> oh. It's about a drug a drug addicted asshole monkey who does surgery. Yeah. With a limp. That rides a skateboard. Jesus, Dr. Monkey. What are you talking about? <laughs> Hyperforce, go. Just go. <laughs> Dr. Monkey, pull yourself together. I would totally watch that. <laughs> Jesus. Dr. Robot watch- Monkey. <laughs> Just, just a um, like a monkey with an old school robot helmet on, and every time everyone's supposed to like they they just acknowledge that he's a doctor saying stuff. <laughs> but he's a, a doctor robot monkey, and he spins around, and his cape is like fluttering in the wind. He's like, he's like it is super de- super robot doctor monkey. <laughs> I go to doctor robot monkey college for eight years to be called Mister. <laughs> to be called Mister. What the hell is wrong with us? <laughs> oh, I would watch that. That's all I'm way, Everything he does, he he treats it with bananas. <laughs> Take two of these <laughs> and call me in the morning. Give this man 40 cc's of banana smoothie. He needs more potassium. I like that banana. <laughs> <laughs> That's his Florida co- cousin that comes up to visit and he's ashamed of him. I think Josh must be having a nosebleed by now. Josh, Josh needs Dr. Super Monkey because he's having a seizure now. Josh is on another podcast where they're actually talking about the topic of the week. <laughs> we want Super Super Dr. Robot Monkey. I wish they would remake Super Robot Monkey Team Hyperforce Go so we could do a show on it. Oh, God. Oh God. <laughs> Maybe that's what we'll do. We'll remake it ourselves. Oh. Yes. We need a monkey or someone who resembles a monkey. Joel? Yes. Will you be our monkey? I already am your monkey. We're halfway there. Oh my He's God. There. He does. All right. Now, I just looked up some images of it. It's like Dexter's Laboratory meets Voltron with monkeys. I'm in. Are any of them doctors? I don't. There's, he's wearing a lab coat. I'm gonna assume yes. God, he what? could be a scientist, though. He could be a scientist. Monkey. Scientist monkey. Is Science that the monkey? monkey? The doctor monkey. Let's <laughs> see the monkey. All right, moving on to sports. Oh, thank God. <laughs> on September 17th, San Francisco Giants outfielder Barry Bonds hit his 700th career MLB home run off San Diego's Jake Peavy. And he was peeved. Sit in the corner. Oh, I should have said he was amped. That would have had a better joke. Damn it. Music humor. Yeah, I get it. All right, Dr. Monkey. <laughs> you know my sweet spot. <laughs> and lastly, let's get to get us out of this twee. Ray Washington Trailer Jr. was a professional wrestler who was best known under the ring name Big Boss Man. During his appearances with the WWF, Big Boss Man held the WWF World Tag Team Championship once and the WWF Hardcore Championship four times. 
Trailer died of a heart attack on September 22nd at age 41 at his home. Big Boss Man was posthumously inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame by, in 2016 by his old manager, Slick. Damn, that sucks. Yikes. I saw him wrestle Hulk Hogan in person one of the times I saw Hogan. And I saw him win the Royal Rumble when it was in Houston. I vaguely remember Big Boss Man. I did not know he'd pa- passed away. He looks like a ball cop. Yeah, he, he would he would always dress like a correctional officer because he actually, Ray Washington trailer, was a correctional officer before he became a wrestler. I mean, he doesn't look, like, overtly huge. Like uh, He was, like, six foot four and 320 pounds, something like that. Yeah, but, I mean, it's not like, I'm looking at him, it doesn't look like it's, you know, flab. I mean, the, he doesn't look like heart attack sauce. Yeah, it's just something about the abuse that wrestlers put themselves through, whether it's the drugs, the alcohol, the the constant damage, or a combination of all of them. I mean, it's rare to find a wrestler over eight, over sixty years old. I wish Doctor Monkey would have been there that night. Monkey could have saved him. I'll hail Doctor Monkey. Yeah, we're going to Dr. Weird... Super Robot Monkey, sir. Oh, sorry. <laughs> he didn't go to in. He didn't go to Super Robot College, not to be called Super Robot. That's a lot of schooling for a monkey. I know, right? Over 95% of his life has been in school. He finally <laughs> just now gets to go out and kick ass, and you're not going to call him Mr. Robot Monkey. You're Super Robot Dr. Mr. Monkey. What? Can we hyperforce go out of this tweet? <laughs> Joel, play us out of this tweet, please. So, I'm not sure who suggested Veronica Mars. That was me. It was you? Okay. Uh, There's a show that I didn't even know existed up until... What? I did not know it existed up until we brought it up. Yeah, remember we were discussing the... Trying to do a Kristen Bell show? And we fell on this one. Yeah, I no, I remember but you talking didn't know about, about it. the show. Wow, that's I amazing. didn't, I did not know about Veronica Mars, and I talked to Susie about. It. I'm like, wow, you know, we really started watching it, really started digging it, and was like, wow, why did we not watch this? You know, like, oh, 2004, we were up to our asses and ankles in Disney shows and kids movies, and by the time we got to the point where we would actually sit down and watch something, we were so tired we just fell asleep because we had a one year old and a four year old at the time. TV shows with actual human beings that weren't in costume were not a thing for us at that time. You were knee-deep in the hoopla. Yes. <laughs> you made the reference, Patrick, not us. Well, you got it in my head earlier, damn it. So, this was a new discovery for me. Veronica Mars. After her best friend is murdered and her father is removed as county sheriff, Veronica Mars dedicates her life to cracking the toughest mysteries in the affluent town of Neptune, California. Created and directed by Rob Thomas, which I... MMAs because for uh, being part of Matchbox 20 and directing these shows, he's doing great. Yeah, I made that joke quite often. They they yeah. referenced Matchbox 20 at one point, but yeah, not the same Rob Thomas. Well, it's funny. His other big sh- smash show, uh, I Zombie, one of the season finales, they have the other Rob Thomas show up in a cameo. <laughs> oh, really? Yes. That's that's awesome. Been involved with 90210, something called Party Down, Cupid, which I remember watching Cupid for a little while. And coming up in 2020, sometime this year, I hope it's probably going to be pushed back because of all this bullshit going on. 
Lost Boys TV movie and Lost Boys the TV series it's supposed to be coming out. So how do you feel about that, guys? I was going to say, seeing as how he did uh, iZombie, I am all for seeing him take on Lost Boys. They seem to have a very similar balance between like horror, comedy, and serious. And I think he's going to treat it with all the respect it deserves. I think it's a really good choice. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited. When I found out about that, I was very excited. It's got nobody listed as writer stars Rochelle Eight A Y T E S Eights, Lincoln Yunes, Ruby Cruz. There's a whole bunch of names of characters that I just do not recognize. There's no Jackie, Benjamin, Elise, Tammy, and Garrett are the names on the Lost Boys movie. I'd be pretty surprised if we didn't see like Darren Norris. Uh, a couple of the other people that he uses over and over again, maybe Enrico Colantoni. But yeah, I'm excited for it. I mean, it's Lost Boys is one of my favorite movies from the 80s. And, you know, all the sequels that have come out after that have been pretty much shit. So yeah. <laughs> as long as they have the shirtless saxophone playing guy, that, that's all I care about. Seriously. That's <laughs> the main focus of the series. Yeah. There's actually a comic book. It's all, it's all his backstory. No, there's there's a Lost Boys comic where you find out that he's actually one of the vampire hunters. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he he shows up and he's got like his saxophone hanging off his arm on a chain, and he's always shirtless and shiny. And that's, that's why he's so jacked. Yeah, is he like Desperado, like El, El Mariachi? I mean, no the the saxophone doesn't like shoot stakes or anything. If I don't, oh, be a weird weapon. That would be. You have to aim it very carefully. Right? You're going to kill yourself. <laughs> Got to wait till they're flying directly above you. <laughs> Can you even kill vampires with that? I still believe. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Kill that fucking band. <laughs> oh, you, sh- you should be apologizing for that joke right now. Hey, I... I was going to say, anybody who got it, appreciate it. It was too brilliant. I can't be mad at you. Yeah, they didn't <laughs> laugh, but they appreciated it. Uh, so this is starring, as we had said, uh, not Lost Boys, Veronica Mars. We're back on that now. Kristen Bell, Jason Doring. I'm sorry, Kristen Bell is Veronica Mars. Jason Doring is Logan Eccles. Enrico Colantoni. 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 As Keith Mars, her dad. Percy Daggs III as Wallace Fennell. Francis Capra as Eli Weevil Navarro. Ryan Hansen as Dick Casablancas. Tina Majorino as Cindy Mac McKenzie and Darren Norris as Cliff McCormick. His voice sounded so familiar to me. Darren Norris's. Do you know why? Yeah. Oh, you do. Okay. Yeah. Play. He does the voice of shit. The cartoon with the two uh, genies. Fairly odd parents. Yeah. Fairly odd parents. Gonna say if you have kids, you know his voice. Oh yeah, that was it. When I heard his voice, I'm like, but he does the voice of the dad and of the guy fairy from Fairly Odd Parents. Yeah, he's kind of like the like a Patrick Warburton almost kind of voice where he's instantly recognizable, but you don't know why necessarily. And his credits for voice acting is just crazy. Oh, yeah. He was in Team America. He did the vo- uh, in Bolt, Cowboy Bebop. Um, and he's also in iZombie. So yep. he's the weatherman, Johnny Frost. Yeah. All right. So, some trivia on this show. So, on March 13th, 2013, cast members Kristen Bell, Jason Doring, Enrico Colantoni, and Ryan Hansen, and the showrunner Rob Thomas appeared in a video posted to the crowdsourcing website Kickstarter that challenged fans of the television show, which had been canceled in 2007, to pledge $2 million to fund or help fund a feature film project based on the show. It broke Kickstarter records when it made more than one and a third million dollars in six hours. What? 
Uh, the entire amount was raised and surpassed in under 11 hours. Subsequently, the 2014 Veronica Mars movie was released. Yeah, that was a big deal when that happened. Like, kind of changed the game or potentially was thinking it would change the game as far as how movies are produced if Hollywood didn't want to do them. Yeah, I wasn't even like a Veronica Mars fan. And I remember hearing about that when yep. it happened. And I was like, Jesus, what are these people all into this show for? And, <laughs> now I get it. Get your shit together, uh, Firefly fans. Right? No, seriously. I'm sure if Joss Whedon came out and was like, dude, can we get somebody together for some more Firefly? He'd have it. I don't know if you can get everybody back together, though. Be kind of hard to get Ron Glass. Well, that would be tough. I mean, he could be, they could have him like in an ashtray or something. The theme song is We Used to Be Friends by the Dandy Warhols. In the fourth season, it is sung by Chrissy Hyde, the lead singer of The Pretenders. That's pretty cool. I thought that's who it was, but I still didn't like it anymore. It, wow. it, it was a different change. I mean, they were trying to, you know, as the shows progressed, they were trying to make it a little bit more, not adult, but... But less less teen <laughs> drama angsty show. This will get the kids. We're going to get the pretenders. Yeah, they were trying a, to follow yeah. the progression of the character to an older, more mature theme song. Yeah, it was definitely, it reminded me kind of, I almost expected this to be the theme song for like my so-called life or Freaks and Geeks, which is fine. I mean... There are elements of those shows in Veronica Mars. So, yeah. The network told Rob Thomas in advance that the season was probably going to be that, sorry, season three was probably going to be the last of the show so he can have an opportunity to wrap up the series. Thomas got so angry at them that he wrote the season finale as an anti finale. In retrospect, he said he doesn't regret it because they could have, could have not made the movie if the show had a proper ending. Paul Rudd was originally considered to play Vinnie Van Lowe. Who? Paul Rudd? Yeah. yeah. Nice. So I don't imagine him as the lawyer or uh, not the lawyer, the other private eye. I could see that actually. It would be a different take on the character, but he could have done it. He'd probably be less uh, greasy and more just aloof. The second, the second he stepped out of when I saw him on screen, I'm like, hey, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Creator Rob Thomas also said that on season three DVD extras that Ryan Hansen's character Dick Casablancas was not originally meant to be a series regular. He was first cast for the second episode as a nameless rich Neptune resident with one line, Logan. Thomas said that that <laughs> they had read many young actors for the line and when it came down to a choice between Hansen or another actor, they cast Hansen purely because he had good hair. Which, you know, was a joke in the show as well. Talk about changing the direction of your life over one thing, you know? <laughs> Look what it did to me. You picked the right hair product that day. Yeah. I should have went with the moose. Uh, also, Amanda Seyfried initially Forget auditioned. The moose. <laughs> auditioned for the role of Veronica Mars. So, how, we're going season one through three? Yeah, well, I think with a big focus on season one. Because uh, did anyone except Joel get much further? I think Pat watched a few of the others. Yeah. A list. Yep. I know, Pat, you finished it, didn't you? I did a list of top 10 episodes you must watch, and I watched a, a, probably about 14, I think, of the season, uh, just different episodes from season one and two and three. And then I watched almost all of season four. I think I skipped over two episodes. Yeah. But I, I didn't watch, I did not watch the movie. I uh, binged all of season one, all 22. And just kind of ran out of time because I wanted to make sure I had enough time left to devote to uh, the now. Spoiler alert, we're going back and watching seasons two and three. I'm into it. 
And this is one of Laura's favorite things. And two of her close friends, one who uh, they're friends of mine now, too. They do a podcast called Veronica's Marshmallows all about this show, which is a spinoff of The Hollywood Outsider, which is another podcast that uh, one of them is on. And so we started two weeks ago with the intent of watching it all because it's something I've been wanting to watch. And since meeting her, it's become something that has been something we've talked about. So it gave me a good reason to to sit down and watch it. So I, over the past two weeks, did everything. I mean, that's kind of how I've always felt about it, too. I've always wanted to watch it, but didn't have an excuse that made me sit down and watch it because I'm a big fan of film noir. Uh, I easily fall into like teenage soap opera stuff like back when we did the Riverdale stuff, the, the Riverdale show. And I've always just thought Kristen Bell is just like adorable. Like some uh, when it comes to some celebrities, it's like, oh, my God, they're so hot. That's that's not the way I see her necessarily. It's just like she's just cute as a button. Awesome personality. I mm-hmm. love her relationship with her husband. hundred percent. They both seem like really incredible people right there with you. I've never I've never heard a bad thing or seen a bad thing about either one of them, really. And it would hurt me deeply to find out that she was actually not as awesome as I think she is. Right. Yeah, I agree. I'm I'm with you 100 percent on all of what you both just said. So we kind of wanted to do a, a full on Kristen Bell show, but there's not enough pre 2000 stuff to do an entire, you know, half of a show on it. So we decided to do Veronica Mars. There's one pre 2000 thing. Right. Yeah. You know what? Focusing in on this made sure that uh, we gave it the time I feel it deserved. And it already sounds like all of us are going to eventually watch 100% of whatever we can. Not knowing about this at all until you guys told me about it. I was expecting teen drama. I was expecting kind of Riverdale meets Encyclopedia Brown. And I was pleasantly surprised. I mean, character development is... For the amount of people that they're introducing, like the first three episodes moves really well. You get a good sense of who everybody is. You can kind of see the web of how they all connect to Veronica in the past and what's going on now and their motives and the introduction of the new characters. I honestly, I think probably my favorite secondary character was Weevil. I really, I really like the relationship between Weevil and her uh, after their first initial meeting. It's like when they carry on and it's that, I forget what episode it was, where Weevil and the big gang, they're all like hiding out in one of the schoolrooms throwing dice. And she walks in and he's like, oh, look at you with the head tilt. Every time you come in here and you do the, hey, with the head tilt, you want something from me. You know, that kind of, I like the, I like the, the dynamic between the two of them. I love Weevil, but he definitely is dangerous or not dangerous as the plot demands. Right. And as you get through the series, you know, she's kind of the good guy. He's kind of the bad guy, but not so bad guy. And he definitely goes through peaks and valleys throughout the season as to what level of kind of. He's the, he's the Fonzie he's kind of bad guy, bad guy, like, like Josh said, bad guy when the plot needs him to be. And wise and 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 helpful when the plot needs them to be. Well, and and most of the characters in this series are flawed in some way. They're they're not always good people. Keith may be the only one that is well, other than maybe Wallace, that stays kind of pure. Even though Keith does some shady things here and there, but he does it for the greater good. It's hard to say that erasing the hard drive was for the greater good. Well, he he did it for. 
selfish reasons, but it, uh, who did it hurt versus, you know, holding people, you know, stealing their money or doing bad things like most everybody. Well, yeah, but, you know, it's the whole, you know, the, the two wrongs make a right kind of thing. You know, right. The, the core of our justice system. That's all. There's a lot of these uh, ethical conundrums when it comes to like what is best. And I think that a lot of the ethical conundrums like focus around the moments where Veronica is both right and not right. Like she doesn't always get the details right. Sometimes her solving the case blows up in her face. She always finds something that somebody else doesn't, but she's not a Mary Sue because frequently like she's either wrong about one of her core assumptions or when she solves the case, she wishes she. One of the things I noticed about Veronica is, is even though she's kind of the, always the smartest person in the room, it's interesting to see the dynamic between her and her, her dad because he's a seasoned PI. He thinks things through. He makes sure he's got all the facts. He kind of does things by the book. And sometimes throughout the series, she comes to a conclusion, she reacts and then finds out that she's wrong or that she, like, you know, Josh was saying she maybe didn't have everything put together yet and she jumps in a lot of times and she's kind of hasty with her judgment and that that carries through the series but sometimes yeah she gets her into trouble and then sometimes she makes the completely wrong assumption and shit goes sour i mean this reminded me more than anything else of another show Uh, i described it when talking to joel and also when talking to sarah when we were watching it together as this is a lot like buffy the vampire slayer but instead of all the monster hunting you've got private eye stuff, which is totally my jam. I can see that. I want to put a call out to the character development and the character itself of Keith. I, again, you know, watching so many shows on kids shows nowadays, because, you know, I've having the kids for so long, but you see the father figure, especially single father figure, and they're always kind of like the clueless dad doesn't know what's going on. I really liked him. He was smart. He had a good grip of what was going on. He knew when to let Veronica just do her thing and not to. And, you know, step in and do it. Almost, sometimes it almost seemed kind of like it was the the path was Keith tells Veronica, don't do don't you be doing anything about this case. Veronica does something on that case and solves it. They come back to circle around that she was right or whatever. But it wasn't often. And I, But I liked his concern for veronica outside of just i don't say outside of just being a dad but it was it was more than than just a stereotypical tv dad oh i'm worried about you thing i liked his character as a whole and then seeing him later on in season four i have see some good character growth on him also the relationship between the two of them was in my opinion one of the best things about the whole show Mm -hmm. yeah they have a really good chemistry and it's especially when other people call out or notice some of the things that aren't always healthy Like, uh, there's one point where Wallace's mom comes at Keith and she says, you treat her like she's 40 and she's not entirely wrong. It's kind of a low shot and they're both going through stuff. So we understand as the audience why their relationship is that way, but she's not entirely wrong there. Keith is probably my favorite character in the series just because it's, it's a really well-rounded character and he just kind of is the center to everything kind of keeps her grounded even when she's kind of going off the rails doing her thing i like enrico colantoni uh, ever since i think i saw him in just shoot me way back in the day it feels like forever ago and galaxy quest so i was happy to see him get kind of a good a good role like this 
Uh, another thing too. I'm very uh, appreciative of is while this has the trappings of like a high school teen drama, it is not afraid to go ultra dark. Yeah. Like from the very beginning. That was what I was trying to say earlier. I was in the same boat as coming into this thinking it was going to be like a like a Riverdale, like a Dawson's Creek kind of thing. And it was much darker and grittier than I anticipated. I mean, in what in the pilot episode, she's talking about how she was raped at a party. I'm like, Jesus. Okay. <laughs> Let's just jump in the pool right at that point. I think, it, but also, it, what did I made? I made a joke when I was watching. I was like, this kind of is reflective of high school life in general. You know, the time that you managed to get a whole car dropped over a flagpole or the first time I ever started a bum fight you know group that was (laughs) and bum fights would have been topical when this came out because this would have been around the time that the bum fight guys got caught and had to surrender their millions and go to jail i could see this happening because it it didn't really break reality for me as far as like you know going oh you know remember that these are supposed to just be high school students because you know they made it clear that a lot of these kids have more money than than most people are going to have their whole lives and they're all they're you know they're all teenagers, so of course they're going to act a little more extreme than mm-hmm. other high schoolers. So I, I think that gave the show the license to to do a little more outlandish stuff. And I want to single out uh, Amanda Seyfried because uh, she was originally just going to be almost a walk-on just in the first couple episodes. But they were so impressed with her performance that they kept bringing her back for flashbacks. And it was a super strong choice. I was uh, really surprised when an actress who was that relatively big like b lister is killed off in the opening episode it's like holy crap and yeah they uh her performance throughout the first season was just really really strong well and you guys were talking about the themes of the show and i didn't know what to expect i knew very little about it going into it and when it started i'm like okay this feels a little 90210 dawson's creekish i didn't quite see the Riverdale thing right away because, you know, Riverdale was way darker than we were expecting, more David Lynch. But they do toe that line between teen drama, the detective show, and everything else that they throw in there very well. And they do tackle some pretty real issues. Like one of the scenes that impressed me was when Logan was getting beaten by his dad or was it... Eccles? Was it Logan or was it... Yeah, it was Logan Eccles. Yeah, it Logan. Was, yeah, yeah. And it was uh, uh, Persis was smacking him around. Harry Hamlin. He he went to get this belt, and the whole time they're playing like what a wonderful world in the background, and it just punctuated the whole scene, and it just was like, wow, this is really intense, you know. And they did that a lot. They used music and sound and other plot devices to kind of nail certain things home. Uh, I just want to comment. The soundtrack for this show is great. Oh, for sure. I didn't like it very much at all. No? Nah. I just, I don't know. I mean, it was a product of its time. Like, I wouldn't sit down and, like, blast it on my iTunes now, but I was pretty happy with the music eh. uh, for the show, knowing it was 2004. I enjoyed it. I mean, it's it was... More often than not, it took me out of the scene, the music did. Really? I, I yeah, when I find it when I when I notice the song over the scene, that's usually a problem. I think it should blend in. It shouldn't be jarring. And the songs often jarred me right out. Just my opinion. 
Uh, one weird thing that I, I didn't know until I dug a little deeper, when, when we brought up the Eccles family just a little bit ago. Uh, Harry Hamlin and Lisa Rinna, they're actually husband and wife. You didn't know that? Yep, have been for, for decades now. Really? Yeah. I did not know that. I was a little freaked out by her lips, though. Yeah. Well, yeah. Kind of her signature thing. I just, when she came on the scene for the first time, I saw her sitting with Susan. I'm like, is she got like a disease or something? What it looks like someone glued lips on top of her lips. Gilman. Oh no. Yeah, she's kind of terrifying. And I got reassured. No, it's just apparently it's just injections. That's the thing people do. Yeah. Well, it was interesting to see Harry Hamlin, who typically plays I mean, I think of him as LA Law. You know, that's where I kind of was introduced to him as an actor. And seeing him play this kind of Tom Cruise. I always think of him as Clash of the Titans. Oh, good point. Persis and his little white thing running around. That's what Bebo. But he's like this, you know, Tom Cruise kind of big star action drama that puts on a, you know, a certain front to the public. And then behind closed doors, he's just this complete, just monster of a man. They, they use that theme a lot in this show that, you know, there's kind of two faces to everybody. It's a fucked up little town with a weird dynamic. Town is putting it lightly. <laughs> I know it's like part. I mean, when when she's like, and my dad didn't want to get run out of town. I was like, are you kidding? I would have been like, this is my sign. I need to get the hell out of this place. Everyone in this town initially, and my initial thought after like say episode three or four of season one was outside of Veronica and her dad, everybody in this town is awful. It's kind of like, why does anybody live in Gotham City? Exactly. Why would you know? Out, you know, why would anybody live here? Why would anybody interact with anybody else? And I mean, it's just like they took all the narcissists and put them in one town. Well, and you do get some of that. Most of the people who are good people are the outsiders or the poor kids. And then, as the series progresses, you start to see a little bit of the good side of some of the other characters. And that was one of the things that I appreciated. Is while it starts from an '80s movie place where poor kids good, rich kids bad mostly like if you're going to take that as a guideline and that's what you're going to guess you're going to be right most of the time but when they delve into especially the reoccurring characters you're going to start to see other sides of like maybe this is why they behave the way they do and maybe they're not all bad all the time like logan yeah yeah i mean he's the big example for sure since he is such a shit at the beginning of the show because when we first started watching it laura's like you know i love logan and i'm like watching his character you know this this first season and i'm like why, why? this terrible person and then you start to peel away kind of why he is the way he is and as the show progresses he's the one that has kind of the biggest character arc of all the people in the show that's the most consistent whereas you know some people remain kind of flat and then some people kind of like weevil go up and down the entire time and yeah, it was funny because uh, Sarah and I had previous experience with Rob Thomas as a writer. So as soon as Logan started to turn a little bit, we were just like, I've seen this before. He's done this before. This asshole's going to turn out to be a really, really sweet guy. <laughs> I never cared for him. Keep watching. I'm not, just, not, just trying to be, not just trying to be contrarian. I just, I don't know. I mean, his first instinct for everything is just to swing at it. Keep watching. I don't like. I don't care well, for hotheads. Sure, I mean, that's and eventually you get to the point where he's working on that. Like he realizes that's as a kid whose dad' solution was to hit. That's what he learned, and he's got anger issues, and he's trying to work on them. 
Can we just I just make a quick mention? Allison Hannigan was playing so against type, it was kind of jarring. It was good, but it was jarring. Nice to see her be bitchy, though. She, she was good. I mean, she was yeah. good. That was a good, she really played that part well. But boy, she was just, you know, I'm so used to her being kind of the goody two-shoes girl. It was, it was a nice change of pace, but really off-putting at first. Every couple of episodes, it was like, holy crap, guest actor. Like yep. just from early on, you got Paris Hilton. Then later you got Adam Scott, Joey Lauren Adams. I, I know I'm forgetting like just a ton of people who just were on for one episode. And sometimes it almost felt like a spoiler. It's like, well, that's the guest star. They're going to be involved in the big mystery because they have to be gone by the end of the episode. <laughs> yeah, we played that. And they wouldn't have signed on to just play nobody. Mm-hmm. We played that game a lot. Every time we watch, I'd be like, hey, I know that guy. And we'd get the phone out and look him up real quick. And they just keep going. And yeah, it was like a, a running joke almost. Who's going to be on this week? Or who's going to be the new character that stays on the show? Like Tina Majorino, when she showed up, I was like, it's Deb. And then, you know, she stuck around. All right. Well, have we exhausted so much of then that we need to go to now before we bleed over anymore? Yes. Yeah, because there's some things that I keep cur- curbing myself. Because I'm like, wait, that happened later. Yeah, I, I've already started to push a little too far so maybe we take our break and then come back talk about the movie and then the uh newest uh season talk about season four which was kind of interesting because my kids been watching me watching us watch it and they're like is this like some kind of weird flash forward episode because they look they did the effects really good <laughs> i'm like no they're just that older uh, <laughs> after season three is what a six-year jump eight six Eight year jump, yikes! Because it was okay. it ended in two thousand six, and then the movie was two thousand fourteen. Although okay. in universe, it's a ten year jump because it's their ten year reunion. Okay, yeah. So uh, we'll be back with season four of Veronica Mars and uh, have a little chitty chat about what we thought about that and the movie. Be back in a little bit. So this is kind of a weird thing for us when we get to the now and normally we're like, hey, this character is now played by this person. Everybody who played characters in the then is still playing those characters. So we've added I mean, people. The sheriff in the movie was like the guy's brother who was Jerry O'Connell. But that's yep. like the first thing that came to mind. That, that And that's a weird like exception. But we've got five or six People have joined in. We've got Clifton Collins Jr., who plays Alonzo Lozano. Uh, you may know him from Star Trek, Capote, Traffic, Last Castle. He's played some stuff. Boondock Saints 2. Yes. Oh, that's right. And uh, Dawn Lewis, who we've actually talked about her before. She was in uh, I'm Gonna Get You, Sucker. Okay. In a different yeah. world. Yeah, different world. And coming up in pre-production right now, something called Star Trek Lower Decks, where she plays Captain Freeman. Patton Oswald as Penny Eppner, the pizza guy. J.K. Simmons as Clyde Pickett. Goddamn national treasure. The only other person who should wear a pork pie hat. Oh, <laughs> I love J.K. Simmons. I do, too. And it's funny because like when he comes on in movies and shows and we're watching, the kids are always like, God, I know that guy. I'm like, imagine him yelling about lemons. Oh, yeah, I know who that is. Or we are farmers. Bum, ba-dum, bum, 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 bum. Or he's butt raping somebody. 
Yeah, that's that's yeah. where I go with the kids. Exactly. I wasn't ah. I wasn't thinking of Cave Johnson from the immensely popular Portal games or you know the commercial that you see every other time. But but rape, yeah, that's where I go. Thanks, Joel. That's where Joel goes. That's <laughs> yeah, he's usually doing it to himself. Also, Isabella Vidovic as Maddie Ross, who's in Homefront, The Fosters, and show about a boy. Finally, Clark Duke. He's the guy that's on the TV John. Show, right? His name Don. is John. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. I cut it off for some reason. No, no, no. He, but he's, but he's one of the the murder guys. Yeah, but uh, the reason I left him in there is because you know everybody knows Clark and Plop from The Office. Those who've seen The Office. Yep. So. Yes. So definitely a change. I'm grateful that they were able to get as much as the original cast back as they did. Because, you know, we've seen more than once where you have a character that you've enjoyed in the first round of exposure to it. And then they change it up, give you to give you a different actor or actress for it. And then suddenly it's a totally different character. They only did it with one person that they changed him out. And that was for the movie. But other than that, everybody was the same. Well, yeah. And that's the thing is like the movie. We're talking mostly about season four here, but the movie had like everybody back aside from the one exception. And I, I was really impressed with how many people they got back just in general. What was the exception for the movie? The girl that was the singer that died. Meg? No, she was the girl in the episode, the Adam Scott episode, originally. Yeah. She oh, was... uh, SK, uh, Sweet Knees. Yeah. Susan Knight. No, but no, the... it's not, not the girl's not actual, not Sweet Knees, the girl who took the fall. Who claimed that she got raped? Yeah, Harper or something like that. I I can't remember her name. Uh, no, it started with the B. Kathy, I think. Mm, sure, uh, she died in the movie. She had become a famous singer, and she died. Yeah, and, and the the original actress that played her in the the series didn't reprise the role for the film. But you could barely tell because as her pop star persona, she had a wig and like goth makeup on. Yeah, so like it was not a jarring change at all. No, I had to actually look it up and because I was like, I know that character name. And I looked it up. And I was like, oh, right. OK, nope, not the same person. <laughs> this season also kind of leaned heavily into the third season. Uh, it, first two seasons, you had like one overarching mystery and then smaller self-contained capsule mysteries that are going to be solved before the end of the episode. But uh, one of the things I thought that the first two seasons did well, you compare it to something like X-Files where some episodes won't reveal any new details about, say, Mulder's sister or the cigarette-smoking man, the aliens that are part of the big meta plot at all. But in the first couple seasons of Veronica Mars, you've got meta plot advancement every single episode. I guess the third season, and we see this again in the fourth season, instead of doing that, they kind of break away. They do either mini arcs or, I think in the fourth season, it's more like, one mystery is the whole season. I don't know how you guys felt about that. Did it make the show better or worse? I kind of like it when they do that, especially in more of a mystery or cliffhanger-esque type of shows. I think it gives you a break from having to think so much about whatever conspiracy is going on. I, it's almost like a cleansing of the palate for me when they have an overarching mystery that needs to be solved before the end of the season. But in between, like every third episode you get one that has nothing to do with the overarching one so you can kind of like just enjoy a mini let i think i think the reason they do it is because you have a solution to a mystery in the middle of the season instead of waiting for the big payoff at the end of it 
And that's kind of what I felt was missing from season four. It's don't get me wrong. I like season four a lot, but I did kind of feel like I was missing the closure at the end of every episode. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that because it seemed like at the end of every end of every episode in four, it was like, oh, we have closure on this story, but wait, what's this? And I was just like, I'm, I can't, I can't. I now I have to watch the next one. You know, and next thing you know, it's two in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> well, That's, but the difference is, is you know, the first first two seasons were twenty two episodes each. The third season was twenty, so they they only had eight episodes to tell the story they were telling. So they had to kind of encapsulate things and keep it a little bit more simplistic in terms of not having too many threads. Plus I think they were trying to kind of tie up any loose ends. The movie did a lot of that with the first three seasons, Mm -hmm. but this kind of still, there was a lot of callback and a lot of things that if you had seen all the original material before this, you're like, Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. And then they, they gave away a lot, (laughs) but it also paid nod and homage to, the things that had happened because there was a lot of characters that only popped in for a five minute scene and then they were gone for the rest of the series, but still tied back to things that had happened previously. I didn't notice it or I didn't think about it too much just because I was enjoying. I like kind of that who done it and the show, even though a lot of times it plays to some tropes and I would figure things out or I'd be like, okay, well this is going to happen now, or this is going to happen now. There was a little formulaic, but a lot of times it went, sideways and i didn't know what was going to happen and that's one of the things i liked about it and i thought they did a really good job of that in this this season especially what did you think pat because you saw all of season four where i haven't i i saw the first like half ish a little less what did i think about the show in general well specifically like i one of the things i thought is instead of feeling like an individual series of episodes where there's a beginning, middle and end with resolution. It almost felt like season four was one eight hour episode broken up with credits occasionally. Yeah. In that way, it was a little bit more like season one. You know, they went back to having a couple of small mysteries here and there and an overarching plot that got deeper and deeper as you know, the further and she went, I liked it a lot. I actually, like I said in the first half, I'm not a big fan of Logan, but he kind of grew on me in the fourth. It took all the way to the fourth season for him to finally kind of grow on me a little bit because he had obviously matured, and so it was a little easier to deal with him. The character growth I saw in in all the new characters, and, and again, like I said before, my favorite part of the whole thing was the relationship with her and her father, and that was maintained. The mystery is interesting to me, but it's not it's not the driving force it's more the about the the characters to me. I did like that in season four, they had four stories going on that are connected to the main four victims that are presented at the end of the first episode. Like you get to see each of the four victims when they were alive, get to know who they are as people. You learn that they're dead at the end of the episode. And then the next couple episodes delve into, okay, this is what's going on around this person's life. This person has like a crazy cartel boss as an uncle. This person has a senator as a brother. Or no, this person is the fiance of someone who has a senator as a brother. And it's always fun to hear, you know, to watch stories of, of like slice of life type things. And you find out at the end how they're all connected. And in this case, we, we already knew how they were connected. But right. it's still always just interesting to me to, to watch slice of life backstory type stuff. I love that stuff. I love character driven things. And it's nice with this series, especially Because I, you know, a lot of times you watch a movie and it's like it ends and you're like, okay, well, I want to know what happens with these people. And that's kind of where franchises come from. Or you do the blues or not blues, but the animal house thing where at the end they, you know, give a quick 
Here's what happened in their future. Here, you got to see Veronica start out at 17, go until she's, you know, 19 in college, jump forward to she's an adult in her 20s. And then again, it jumps and you get to see where these people end up in their lives. And it's kind of, it's nice to see that progression. And this show is really good with continuity and it's very smart writing where, like you were talking about, where things kind of weave together in and out, even things that happened all the way back in the first season may still carry through into a plot line or something that happens in the fourth season. And it's kind of like a, like Paul Thomas Anderson, like a Boogie Nights or Magnolia, where everything kind of weaves in and out of each other, all part of the same story. Did you watch all the way to the end of the fourth season? Yeah, I, I watched everything. Right? Okay. Yeah, so, you, so you're saying that, yeah, okay, that makes sense things that i liked about uh what you were talking about making in the continuity of everything is where now i've only watched about half of season four but when she goes back to prison the prison to talk to people and they've got the same actors of people that she put away yep and they're either like yeah hey you put me in here or they're like super bitter and angry at her or you know hey how you doing how's the wife and you know how's the husband did you have kids that sort of thing and get really creepy on her i think that was really cool that they were able to maintain that continuity and bring those people back in a meaningful way versus just oh they go to the prison and they see they do the quick eyeball on each other thing there's actually still that animosity and still that anger between the two of them in there yeah, actions have repercussions or have reactions or and and they they do a good job of following through on that. It's not like this just happened and oh okay, well, that's the end of it. You see what the repercussions are of whatever it is that happened and it has a ripple effect a lot of times. Did anybody else get a feeling like and I I know it's not going to happen and Rob Thomas has said that, you know, there will not be a season 5. This is it. It felt a lot like to me like Maddie Ross's character they were almost, it almost felt like they were like, okay, hey, you know, here's a potential spinoff. You know, here's Maddie Ross PI, because she was very much Veronica Mars in training, it felt like. They're not going to, but I don't know if anybody else noticed well, I that. I think in, in like the real universe of Veronica Mars, yeah, she continues on. She probably does continue the legacy. They're just not going to tell that story. Well, and that's the thing is whether or not there's going to be a season five is still confused. Because I think right now there's no plans, there's no options, there's no specific, hey, we're going to film X, Y, or Z. But I keep seeing articles that go back and forth with, like, people are open to it. It's just going to depend on how many people discover it on Hulu. Like, one of the things Hulu doesn't want to do is cannibalize themselves because once they did season four, they found that people need time to digest the 64 episodes if you keep throwing too many new seasons at them, they're not going to go through that back catalog. They get overwhelmed. You saturate your own market. Right. So, I mean, I have seen, hey, we're not going to do it. There are no plans to do it. And then I see other stuff from even this year that's like the plans are on hold. It's not dead, but there's nothing specifically going on right now. From what I understand from what I what Laura told me was that Rob Thomas had said there wasn't He'd wrapped it up and there wasn't any plans. I haven't seen anything or read anything myself, but once you see the ending of season four, it could go either way, I guess, potentially. I mean, it is kind of a, a an ending that puts a cap on things, but uh, it's not entirely closed. You know, it's not close ended. 
if Veronica Mars fandom doesn't call themselves like Martians, they're really missing an opportunity. <laughs> they're marshmallows. Marshmallows. I don't yeah. like that. No, that's because it's a reference to something that's said in the first season and then again in the third season. I don't how like Wallace it. describes. And in the movie. Oh, was there a reference in the movie? Maybe I'm confusing. I just the saw movie. the movie today, so I still don't like it because I didn't come up well, with it. Patrick doesn't like it. <laughs> that's it. It's over. Shut it down. Got to close it up, everybody. Patrick doesn't like the idea. Well, they definitely give you give you some closure, and it's. I think Josh, you'll appreciate it when you see it. I, you know, again, I don't want to. Oh, I know the ending. No, no, no. There's there's other things that happen that. I mean, you know the major plot point, but there are other things as well. And you talk about, you know, film noir and that sort of thing. And it, it definitely has that kind of sensibility to it. In a lot of ways, it's kind of interesting to see again, that continuity where it starts out as, you know, they're in high school. The song is this, you know, kind of, you know, Danny Warhol's kind of indie rock sort of thing. And then all of a sudden, you know, it turns into kind of a little bit more slowed down, a little more adult themed because they're in college and then, you know, it goes to this kind of after dark sort of theme when they're adults. I never liked the theme song. I'm going to say it again. I know you don't. But after you've seen all the all four seasons, it 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 becomes ingrained. And I like that Andy Warhol's anyway, but yeah, it gets stuck in your head. Patrick not liking the theme song and me having slight reservations about the change of format for the last season seems to be the only things that we disagree about. Like, we're all pretty much gushing about this show. So I'm going to throw a wrench in the monkey works here. Monkey wrench in the works here. Dr. Monkey? Dr. Monkey's works are getting wrenched. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Reggie's monkey works. I'm going to ask a question. Is Veronica Mars a good person? I want you to think about that for a second. I think no, not really. And that's one of the reasons why I like her. She tries to be a good person, but she has the capability of being very bad and very selfish. She uses people. Yeah, she... She very much is a the ends justify the means type of person, and a lot of that depends on you know her, your opinion on her will depend on do you think the end always justifies the means because she'll do whatever it takes to get to whatever it is she needs to get to, regardless of who it hurts and what the consequences will be, and so on and so forth. Gets that target in her head for what she thinks she needs to do to solve the case, and everything else becomes peripheral. So you're pretty much on the same page as Patrick then. Yeah. I mean, she's not, I won't say she's explicitly a bad person, but she is a flawed hero. And I think that's what the attraction is to her. What about you, Joel? Is Veronica Mars a good person? Well, I, and I, I felt bad as, as we were going through the series because I, as it progressed, I, I kept seeing what she did. And I think she started out, when her and Lily were, you know, friends as a very kind of bubbly, upbeat, smart kid who was a teenager. And once things happened, it put a big wall around her that she doesn't let down for just about anybody, even her dad. She's she's willing to kind of keep that wall up. And so a lot of times it is she she's more focused on the the job at hand and if it hurts people around her that she loves, they just see that either need to deal with it or move on. And I don't think it makes her a bad person, but I think she makes some bad choices because she's trying to do the right thing. And but it's by any means necessary. 
Yeah, for sure. I think one of the defining characteristics of like a film noir detective hero is that they're not necessarily a good person. Like they're at their heart. Maybe you understand it because they're fundamentally broken. And yeah, Lily's death broke her. She had all this unfocused rage and she just channeled it into solving cases. She says as much herself. Mm -hmm. If you were to give her a D&D alignment, I would say she's lawful evil. I mean, Yikes. I mean, lawful, lawful Ooh. neutral. Sorry, lawful, lawful neutral. neutral. Yeah. Jesus, dude. Really? Like lawful evil, spicy take. Yeah, no, lawful <laughs> neutral. I'm, I, I totally meant to say lawful neutral. Uh, I would say chaotic good. Wow. I don't remember them well enough to say. So I'm going to call her Marcy. She's, she's lawful Marcy. I don't know. Josh? I mean, she's constantly bending the rules, even the ones she sets for other people. So I have a hard time calling her lawful. lawful. Well, I call her lawful simply because she knows and follows the law until the law is something against what she needs or wants. That's why she goes to the that's the neutral part of her. Yeah, we, we get into a what do the alignments mean into the weeds then. Yeah, I say the reason I give her chaotic good is because she wants to solve the case. She wants to make things right, but sometimes it's just like, like I said, she sees that clue or she sees that break in the case and she goes straight for it without consideration of what's at the end of the alley. Mike makes a persuasive argument, although since the archetype for chaotic good is your Han Solo type, I would probably move her more into the neutral good category. Yeah, she definitely not. I, 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 the chaotic is what I had more of a problem agreeing with. Yeah, and I don't think I could get down with seeing her lawful because she's definitely, I think, more. It's weird because I believe she's not a good person, but I believe her alignment might still be good if you're breaking it down for D&D alignments. Is she just straight neutral? No, I, I, I'm leaning towards neutral good. I think the reason I would keep her in the good category is because somebody comes to her with a problem and she's trying to make things right. She's not like, I'm doing this for the money. Here's the answer for your question. It's there has been a, a something you have been wronged. I am going to help you fix it. And she'll screw herself over sometimes to do it. Right. I'm leaning towards uh, Mike on the uh, good versus neutral axis. But sometimes it feels like, not not always, but sometimes it feels like she's not just doing it to make it right or to do the right thing. She's doing it because she wants to be right. Sure. And sometimes she uh, she is more crusading to hurt the person who did wrong than she is to make the situation right. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And that's one of the things that I, I found myself feeling bad for because I like the character and I, you know, I, I want to root for her and I, you know, I want to be in that camp. But a lot of times I, I had problems with kind of the way she went about things or the end result. And that's where I always came back to, you know, Keith being kind of the, the, the center of it, even though he's not the star of the show, he always kind of was the character that I most related to because his justifications, he was doing things because he wanted to make it right or he wanted to do the right thing. Sometimes she makes Wallace look like a saint. Because he's her best friend, he's there for her over and over and over again. He sometimes sets her straight, but he has his eyes open. He's like, Veronica is going to use me to do what she thinks she needs to do. And arguably, he might be the only character on the show. Because I originally said Keith, but whenever you come back to the, the hard drive thing, that puts a chink in his armor. Whereas Wallace, I don't, 
outside of the the thing with the basketball player, which was I don't know if you guys saw that part, but even then I don't uh, I still feel like he's one of the only characters on the show that retained his status of being a good person throughout the show. Yeah, I wanted to mix it up a little because sometimes when we're all in love with the show, as we obviously are, like the thumbs up, thumbs down is going to be obvious on this one. But we don't want to just fall back into the remember that part when that was awesome. <laughs> right. I almost think this this when we have just single character shows, I think it'd be a great question for the end of every episode almost. Because, I mean, it seems a lot we always ex- just expect, you know, the good guy's the good guy. You know, you don't look any further into, mm-hmm. you know, the motivations and all that. And it is it is something It's like what you're bringing up with this is that about halfway through season one. You, I did actually mention Suzanne. It's like, I'm not really uh, she kind of, she kind of started, I was like grading on me, but kind of like and she got too pushy for me at sometimes. In the way with her her insistence on solving the cases her way, even when her dad is like, "Look, it's not going to end well." Like the one with the pregnant girl, sweet meat, sweet meat, sweet knees with sweet Adam meat. Scott, <laughs> Susan Knight. Yes, the Adam Scott episode. Yeah, yeah, the one where you just see the person getting carried out on the on the uh, gurney at the very beginning. It's one of those where the dad says, "Look, I've seen this where the girl is dating." Oh an abusive guy and it doesn't turn out well. So prepare yourself for that. And it, oh, it's, you're talking about the Jessica Chastain. Episode. Yes, yes. That yeah. one, that one. Yes. You know, where he, he's preparing, like, look, you're going, you're going in this direction. You're not going to like where it leads. I've seen this before. And you know, it's exactly kind of how the whole thing turns out. And also in that one, you realize what a badass uh, the father is with a gun too. And taking that shot and clipping him right in the shoulder through the window. It's, a, it's something that I don't know that you could ask with every film or television show, because a lot of times things are really surface and a credit to Rob Thomas and his characters he's created in the story he's he's written is he's created a very layered character. There's there's more to her than just the surface. Yeah, I guess a little side note. I know I've mentioned it a few times. Have you guys watched Die Zombie? It's next on the list after this, actually. If you enjoyed this. It's this style plus zombies. I've watched and read iZombie. Well, that's just it. Mike Allred is my favorite comic book artist, and I've loved his work since I first found Madman back in high school. And that's as soon as I heard about the show, I was excited about it, and I it just fell by the wayside. But after this, yeah, it's it's jumped to the top of our list of something we're going to delve into here soon. Don't want to leave you out, Pat. Have you seen it? I have not seen iZombie, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's what I figured the answer was, but I wasn't going to be Well, let's move on then. <laughs> yeah, I don't have anything to add to that, so. Fair enough. I was remaining silent. Well, I think we've finished on Veronica Mars pretty well for this. Yeah. So, Joel, what do we have up next week? Uh, next week, we're going to talk about songs that we love to hate. No, songs that we hate that we love. The cringy songs. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's a weird time. It's love, hate, song, hate, love <laughs> yes. on, Hill, on Hill House. And How Dr. are we Monkey. still confused about this topic? Songs songs we don't want to get caught singing along to. Yes. We'll figure it out by next week. The Cringy pleasure. hate songs that we love, hate, to hate, love. If you want to give your opinion on Veronica Mars, maybe uh, you have strong feelings about that ending that we were dancing around so as not to spoil those of us who didn't finish it. Let us know. Give us a call at 708-NOW-RAP. That's 708-669-9727. 
Yep. And again, it's like I said before, if you're looking for our older stuff, you can find us on Apple and Google Podcasts, Blueberry Stitcher, TalkShoe, Podverse FM, Noon FM, and then find us on Spotify and on uh, iHeartRadio. Or you can just go to our home on the web, 40go14.com, and uh, stream us out of there. And if you want some more uh, Veronica Mars, check out the Veronica Marshmallows podcast. Throwing that in there again. Of course, there's one of those. Why wouldn't there be? It's good stuff. They could actual. They've got people that were on the show interviewed for the show. Oh, huh. nice. Yep. So we got to get some interviews on here. We just have to find people that were young and then old. Wait. <laughs> everyone. Who wants to be interviewed? You're all on the list now. We just got to <laughs> narrow it down a little bit. Were you once younger than you are now? You're on. Yes, right now. <laughs> this is the oldest I've ever been. Until now. The Weather Girls, an American female duo, duo of Martha Wash. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, <laughs> we, I'm sorry. We'll be back next week. We have to take Joel get his tongue realigned. Oh, my gosh. Let me try he that again. curb on the way over here, and everything's been off. Got to get his tongue rotated. Edward Norton stopped by. Things got heated. I don't know. Yikes. <laughs>